This is the EPP podcast on the future of artificial intelligence. Today we'll be looking at its impact on competitiveness, so keep listening. If Europe is to emerge from the COVID-19 crisis with renewed competitive vigour, the potential of artificial intelligence must be fully realised. But, as with all new technologies, concerns linger about how and when it should be used. Clearly, there is scope for good regulation to harness AI for the benefit of Europeans. A Eurobarometer report published in March last year tested public perceptions related to artificial intelligence and found that just over half of the respondents, 51%, said that public policy intervention is needed to ensure ethical applications. As we discussed in our last podcast, half also mentioned the healthcare sector as the area where AI could be most beneficial. But what are the choices for regulatory frameworks to enable the potential of AI solutions? Could positioning Europe as the global centre for ethical AI policy make Europe more attractive than other jurisdictions around the world? What do startups and innovators need from policy to create homegrown success stories? We'll be attempting to answer some of these questions today. AI policy and governance has already received significant attention. On the 9th of March, the European Commission presented a digital compass to make Europe more resilient and prosperous. It sets out a number of objectives to be achieved by 2030, such as increasing skills for citizens, doubling semiconductor production, successfully transforming SMEs and public services digitally, and setting up secure, efficient and sustainable infrastructure. But these will not be enough unless businesses are competitive. And regulators cannot wait around as others will already move to fill the void. Facebook recently launched OpenLoop, a policy and regulation testing sandbox. The company works with AI startups to get real-world data on the impact of AI regulation before the regulation gets implemented. This involves running experiments where startups test versions of proposed regulations and report back on how much it costs to implement, the value add of the regulation and whether it was clear and easily applicable. On the 23rd of March, all these challenges and opportunities will be discussed in the Special Committee on Artificial Intelligence in a Digital Age, known as AIDA. Next, I'll be talking to three members of the committee, so keep listening. I'm joined now by MEPs Axel Voss, Jorgen Varbon and Anna-Michelle Asimakopoulou. Thank you very much for joining us. So let's start with the big question. What does competitiveness mean in 2021? Anna Michelle, what are your thoughts? Well, let's, uh, let me let me just start by saying that this has been a challenging year for all of us, and all of a sudden the world has just turned digital. In fact, I was reading that 97% of businesses report that COVID has accelerated their digital their digital strategy by six years. So, um, I, I think that uh, the pandemic has been a key driver in digitization, but I think that um, it's also exposed some vulnerabilities of our digital space in Europe and this divide between businesses that are actually able to leverage the full potential of the digital environment and those that are yet not fully digitized. Um, so for me, competitiveness certainly requires and means equal opportunity, equal opportunity to innovate and deliver products and services to consumers leveraging on AI. So if you if you want, I think that competitiveness has some basic parameters. Let's, let's maybe call them the ABCs of competitiveness in the digital age. So for me, A means being ahead of the game, B means being better than the competition, and C means collaborating. So to be ahead of the game, 
you need to have massive scale up of investments and you need not just EU and national funding, but you certainly need private public partnerships. And to be better than the competition, you need upskilling and you need reskilling of the workforce and a framework, a regulatory framework that enables industry to in innovate, to test and to upscale. And C, collaboration, you, you have to realize, we have to finally realize and agree that there's strength in unity. We have to support ecosystem cooperation and clusters beyond traditional partnerships. And we have to be able to complement the vertical capabilities of industry and disrupt their uh, own sectors. Right. So competitive industries, just to sum this up, are industries for me, which are ready, willing, and able. This, of course, applies also to SMEs, which are the backbone of our economy. But this is, this is what we need to do. We need to go forward. Well, I like that ABC, nice, nice and easy to remember. Jorgen, what is your understanding of competitiveness and how does AI in Europe in particular play into it? Well, I'd like to start with, um, I, I'm very concerned actually about the competitiveness uh, for Europe as a whole, not only when it comes to AI, but in general terms, because we have seen how other great economies, they outcompete Europe, Europe at the moment. Uh, not, uh, not least China, uh, but other Asian countries, uh, but also the U.S. They grow much faster than we do, and in the long run, this will, this will hit, hit European uh, prosperity. So we have to change this situation around. And I think uh, there are several things that have to be done, both on member state level and, of course, on a European level. Uh, one of the most important things is... Uh, is to have a European mindset when it comes to AI. Because I'm afraid that a lot of European politicians, they tend to have, they have been very skeptical towards uh, AI technology, uh, and the public debate is also unreasonably unbalanced between innovation and integrity. Uh, but there surely are important integrity aspects that need to be carefully considers when it comes to AI, but we also uh, need to seize the enormous potentials for innovations that can dramatically improve uh, people's lives. So we must dare to have great ambitions when it comes to AI. The message we should send to entrepreneurs, researchers and startups is that Europe is the place to be for those who want to become successful in the digital sector. And that requires a new European mindset and a far better innovation and, and business climate. Well, I noticed you use the word integrity. We hear an awful lot about ethical AI. Do you think there's a slight difference there? Or is it, do you think integrity is a stronger word to use? Well, the, the, the important part here is that when we uh, regulate, we have to be very careful when we regulate because... If we look to the U.S., for example, they, the, the, the way I view their approach is that they carefully monitor, but they don't regulate too early or too, too hard. Uh, so we have to give some trust in the businesses. Uh, we have to give some trust in, in people. And I think that people also trust um, some more some or most organizations actually with their data. I think there are, is, is enough evidence for that. Uh, so we, we 
my message here is we do not have to regulate too hard and too early. Uh, we should follow the process very clearly, but we should make sure that there is room for creativity and innovation. Axel, you um, have been following this for quite some time in the AIDA committee. What does competitiveness mean to you? So I have to underline what Anna Michelle and also Jürgen are saying. Um, it's uh, very important that we are aware that is these are changing times. And so <clears throat> that's why we need uh, what Jürgen already said, this different approach on, mind, on our mind setting. So we can't lean back and waiting till the legislator is doing here something. No, I have to be aware every evening sitting there and asking myself, what can I improve tomorrow? And this is um, how we should approach this all. And even the legislators should think more in competitiveness dimensions. Um, so this is not only um, the, the companies any longer, the innovators any longer. It's also about legislation. And uh, so and we have to think differently in linking everything. What this might be a kind of a better product, a better service at the end if we are linking and have a kind of an interoperability uh, available around. And that's why <clears throat> I think this um, competitive thinking, this action then in, in creating, not waiting on a kind of a framework because the legislator is too slow, and uh, then coming forward and having also more risk to take. And that's why I think we should move forward. The other regions in the world um, have not this disadvantage already in place what Europe has. So these, let's say, 27 languages, 27 different uh, stru legal structures, 27 different mentalities and so on, we have to compensate these. And uh, so, therefore, building the frame and then the companies should move ahead and we then should also be allowing emerging situations. So and, and thinking also in uh, more big scales instead of just focusing on the uh, common market. Well, that leads very nicely into our next question, which is what can we learn from other regions as well as our own success stories? Jorgen, have you particular thoughts on where we should be looking for inspiration for how to move forward? Well, today, only four out of the world's top 100 AI startups are European. So the figure speaks for itself in saying that we have a substantial problem here when it comes to the innovation, climate and competitiveness. And uh, there are, uh, it, I would say that US and China is, uh, they are the two countries that uh, are, uh, are uh, most ahead of us in, in this sector. And I, I rather look uh, uh, more closely at the US example than China, uh, since they are so different from us in, in, any, in, in, in every other aspect. Uh, so I mentioned before that, that US is, is uh, they decided uh, during the Obama administration that they they had a, a deep look into the uh, the issue of regulating, uh, but they decided not to regulate too hard, but but really to to follow um, uh, follow these issues very closely. 
And I'd like to uh, mention also what, what Axel said about the, um, uh, the, the 27 different uh, legal aspects of this. Uh, we, we have a lot of legal uncertainty. I've spoken the last uh, month to uh, almost uh, 30, 35 businesses and organizations working with AIA, and there is a very tangible legal uncertainty facing businesses and researchers uh, when it comes to using data today. And this hampers innovation gravely, uh, feeling the, the threat of heavy fines if they are doing something wrong. Uh, many businesses do not dare to innovate, and those that do, they are slowed down very much. So the solution to this problem is, of course, harmonization. And, of course, the U.S. has another system than we have, uh, but we should demand from the Commission a guidance for pre-approved data usage uh, procedures, as well as for um, uh, pseudonymization in order to increase the legal certainty for stakeholders so that uh, national agencies should follow this uh, EU uh, to create a regulatory coherence uh, and, and, and seamless data flow between member states. Anna Michelle, your thoughts on this matter? Um, we need coherence, but isn't that perhaps the advantage the EU gives to the smaller member states, of course? Well, it does, but you know, I mean, uh, Jurgen focused on uh, on on the U.S. and mentioned uh, mentioned some of the statistics. Uh, maybe I'll focus on China for one second and just say that, you know, they're they're so ahead of of us in terms of AI adoption. I mean, eighty percent of Chinese companies versus forty five percent of companies in Europe use AI, and and also on their ability to get financial impact from using AI. They're almost double in that uh, at, at close to 30% compared to 15 in um, Europe. They're, they're massively investing in AI and supercomputing. And, and as Jürgen very correctly said, on the other, on the flip side, you have in the U.S. this, this laissez-faire approach, particularly in the last few years, to support their tech clients. So where is, where is Europe in the middle of all this? Um, and how, what do we have to do to catch up or, or spring forward? I think we need to do two, three things. I think, first of all, we have to make some hard choices. I mean, we have to make some partnership choices. Um, and and that, that has to be done in order for us to leverage on the second important factor, which is size. I mean, yes, it's a disadvantage to have 27 different systems, but it's an advantage if you manage to harmonize the 27, if you manage to work globally um, and then in the end, you have to, you know, what they say, put your money where your mouth is. So make these investments on a global scale. So that for me means that we have to look for cooperation and partnerships work worldwide with like-minded partners. And we have to get past these fractious disagreements about privacy rights, about data flows, about competition rules, even about taxation. So we can have a very flexible and resilient international geotechno alliance. That's what we need. That will that will give a scale, and that will also inspire and allure other countries on the basis of these shared interests. Well, uh, Anna Michelle, it sounds uh, a bit like you're, you're referring mostly to the U.S. There, when talking about some of the more recent issues in the in the news, um, do you think it is a stark choice for a partnership between the U.S. and China? 
Um, or, or either, or are you looking to do other parts of the world, like the global south, or further east in Japan yeah. and South Korea? Absolutely, Japan, Australia, Canada. I mean, there's there's plenty of, of of countries that I think would would join this kind of an international techno alliance, which is which is amongst other things value based, because that's that's really what we have now. We have two rival ideologies and systems of, of what the digital world and what digital government governance should look like. And I think we have to make uh, historic choices on the f side of democracy. And that doesn't just involve the United States. And it doesn't a priori exclude other um, countries but that are not Western value-oriented. But you know, practically, um, you can't have these kind of authoritarian practices that you see in China with respect to the digital space. So we're not willing to accept those. Even the most laissez-faire industrial approaches are not willing to sacrifice fundamental rights and values that Europe has stood up for for centuries. Axel, some of the figures there thrown around by your colleagues are quite disheartening, really. Um, <laughs> what can we do about it? What can we learn? So I, let me add here two points to this, and, and probably this is what I would say what we should learn. Um, at first, flexibility to meet the changing developments and also joining forces. So this, um, I would say, is the intention um, to compete with US and China at the end. So none of our member states can do this alone. We have to join forces uh, with the EU. And, and uh, what Anna Michel says, also in joining or trying to join forces also with other rule of law and, and democratic oriented uh, states. And, and this might be a kind of a third block then in the world if, if we can agree on this. So not fragmenting, and uh, this is politically a little bit a problem right now because we are politically too fragmented right now. Um, I, I do not know where this will lead to, but um, if I would say we have to learn something from other regions, reacting fast, so means flexibility, and also these joining forces to have a kind of a broad scale also of um, our companies and being a kind of a player still in the digital world. Well, our final question was, what does the sector need from policymakers and how can you deliver that? So we've been talking quite on a, on a macro level, thinking about global politics and so on. But what do you hear from businesses on the ground in Europe about what they want? So at first, of course, they would like to have a kind of a stable and um, clear, clear framework. But uh, we, we have to admit it's not that fast how it should be. And, and therefore, we have to um, also concentrate or focusing on other issues so that we are thinking, if we are having in mind this legal framework, about patterns, about some ethical um, principles, but not too detailed what Jürgen said at the beginning also. Um, we need clear definitions. We need um, this flexibility as a legislator. We need legal clarity. But on the other hand, we also need these preconditions to run all these business. So it means 
coordination means interoperability, joining forces, what I said already. We need data, we need the infrastructure, and we need a lot of investments. Well, I mean, we've heard recently this digital compass that the European Commission has proposed for the next decade. What's your reaction to that? Does it go far enough? Does it say the right things? Um, it's saying the right things, um, but if we are thinking now in decades, this means a kind in the digital age is century already, and this is, of course, for me, not enough. So that's why I would consider what they have written there, and they are good ideas in it, but then we should fulfill this already by 20. 20, uh, um, uh, sorry, 2024, and, and this would be then a good starting point. But if we are doing this till the end of this decade, then I would say we are out of the game. So that's why, um, of course, we, we need a lot more ambitious goals also in it. And uh, we need probably also having some deadlines for the member states to fulfill the infrastructure um, and, and so on. So this is where I would say we need to be more ambitious. We need to set priorities um, that we still can survive and, and play a role in the digital world. And this is what I would think it's a good starting point, but it's not enough to really to come to a situation where we might be satisfied with. More, please. Uh, Anna Michelle, uh, what are your thoughts on, on what you're hearing from businesses in Europe? Um, what do they need from, from policymakers? What, you know, what can you practically deliver on? Well, first of all, let me agree with Axel that I, I think that the compass goes in the right direction. And I mean, I, I welcome, of course, setting targets, but I, I also agree. We need to be more ambitious and we need to be more specific and we need to bring the dates forward and, and quantify the let's say, the deliverables um, in a much more straightforward manner for member states. Now, with respect to, you know, what we need to, what we need to, to do as policymakers, it, it's, you know, I listen to, to citizens, I listen to uh, groups wanting to protect their rights, I listen to industry, and, and funny enough, I, I, I try to find where you know, the, the, a common prism to look look through what they're asking. And I find that they're, in a way, they're asking for the same thing from us as policymakers. And um, they're asking for us to um, basically protect and preserve and promote diff different things from different, um, from different aspects. But let's say if we want this human-centric, ethical AI policy framework that my colleagues and I are working for, especially in the IDA committee and in other committees in parliament, we need to preserve our democracy, we need to protect people's rights, and we need to promote our core values. And industry is also asking us for the same thing. Uh, they need to, we need to protect our industries from these aggressive foreign ambitions, we need to preserve their competitiveness, and we need to promote their innovation. And I know this is a very difficult balance to achieve, but I think if anybody in the world is going is is in the best position to achieve this, then that's Europe. I mean, that's that's what we stand for: being able to reach these terribly difficult compromises. Um, but time is clearly of the essence. There is no time to waste. So whatever we do, we have to do it very quickly. Jorgen, I presume you agree with that as well. It's uh, no time to waste. We should have done this yesterday. Yes, very true. Uh, 
I have I have three things I think that businesses want from us as, as policymakers, and I've, I've mentioned the European mindset that we have a that the message should be to to, to entrepreneurs that this is the place to to set up your uh, your company, your startup uh, in in the digital sector. I've mentioned the uh, importance of uh, access to huge quantities of data. That is, of course, the cornerstone of AI technology. So we should make sure that our legislation is there. So it's the mindset, it is the data. And the third is, uh, the third key factor is knowledge, I would say. Uh, and here I have a, a solution, I, or a suggestion, I would say, because I'm, I'm very happy. I welcome the Commission's commitment to create 200 regional digital innovation hubs uh, that will mean lifting the general level of AI deployment and development broadly. But we need to focus on the very top, on, on excellence, on pioneering. We have to set up a global beacon for AI development, something that is clearly European and truly global. So when I've met uh, both academia and, and business stakeholders, they have urged us to work for the, uh, uh, for the designation of a European AI lighthouse that can be a, a center of excellence for AI research and development. And, and here I think we need to invest a substantial amount of money so that the best brains in the world decide to come to Europe uh, because this is the cluster for uh, for AI research and for startups um, uh, to, to use all that research and that knowledge. Uh, so I think we should find one place, uh, the, the right place in Europe to, to set up in, an AI lighthouse. Uh, and I think that should be an important part of the of the ADA report when we uh, when we drop that uh, later on this year. So sort of like a, a CERN for AI sort of thing. Yes, absolutely like that. Okay, um, Axel, I'll, I'll give you a final word as we wrap up here. Um, competitiveness in AI, is that the future solution for the European Union coming out of COVID? We need to bounce back stronger. Is this great potential of AI the way to do it? So AI has uh, the potential of being a strategic of strategic relevance. So that's why uh, we can't fall back. So we can't afford not to have AI. And uh, therefore, it's totally necessary, of course, to train European algorithms, our innovation uh, and so on. And therefore, of course, and here we are conflicting a little bit with the GDPR because we need a lot of also personal data if you would like to have the results of trained algorithms and, and not having racism uh, results or gender unbalanced results and so on. And therefore we need these. And this is um, how I'm thinking we have to do it. We have to be ambitious. And that's why we have to go forward with all the balancing of everything else. Thank you very much indeed. And thank you, Anna, Michelle and Jorgen as well. It is indeed a balancing act, but I think there is cause for some optimism as well. That's it for this episode. But join me, Jennifer Baker, for the next EPP podcast on the future of artificial intelligence, where I'll be looking at another sphere of our lives where AI can make a difference. <laughs>